This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Let's get to it on a Calgary Flames game day. This is Sportsnet Today. You're on Sportsnet 960. The fan, Logan Gordon, along with you. We're coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. And yes, the Flames finish out a two-game road trip tonight in Vegas. Taking on their division rivals. After a tough loss Tuesday to the Arizona Coyotes. Flames desperately needing points and have a tough challenge against the Golden Knights. Never won in Vegas, an 0-7-1 record. They'll look to snap that tonight. 8 o'clock puck drop, 7 o'clock Flames warm up with Pat Steinberg and Peter Labardius. We'll chat with Lou in just moments here. Get you set for the Flames and the Golden Knights. Plus, on the Thursday show, our chat uh, with our pal M- Adnan Verk from MLB NHL Network. Lots to get to with uh, Adnan on this Thursday. And uh, we'll also effort to uh, hear from some of the Flames players and head coach Daryl Sutter on a game day in Las Vegas. Let's kick things off like we always do. That's by heading down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and saying hello to the color voice of the Calgary Flames. He is Peter Labardius, and he joins us. Every single day, courtesy of our friends at the Gemini Group Home Renovations. The Gemini Group knows your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. They're now offering air miles, reward miles, and you can visit them at thegeminigroup.ca. Good afternoon, Lou. How are you, sir? How are you, my good man? I'm doing good, pal. What did you think of the Hitman game last night? I was there in attendance. Great effort by the group. Bounced back after a tough one against Red Deer, and uh, Braden Peters with one of the saves of the year uh, in that matchup last night. Yeah, and I thought he had four or five other ten bellers where the game probably could have changed as well. So they're in uh, quite a tussle, as you well know, and hosting a lot of their games with Brad and Jeff, who do a sensational job. Um, But Last night was certainly a great response after nine nothing in their previous game. So it's quite a race in the Western Hockey League for those teams battling for the final playoff spots. Yeah, three way tie heading into uh, action last night for the Hitmen, the Broncos, and the Wheat Kings, all for that final spot. And thanks to uh, a good out of town scoreboard, the Hitmen come into today with that spot all to themselves. But Still lots to happen before uh, it's all said and done in the WHL's Eastern Conference. Sure, it would be nice to see the Hitman get some playoff action, especially for a guy like Riley Fiddler-Schultzlew, who, you know, because of COVID and everything else, his great tenure with the Hitman hasn't included any playoff time. No, and he's had injuries, and it, it would be great for him and, you know, any of the veteran guys who are going to be leaving at the end of the year. It's always a tough time even to this day to watch when, you know, those kids have played their final game 
at that level, it always gets me. And it's certainly, I find it emotional every time I'm at a game where, you know, that's going on, especially when it really sinks in, whether it's the end of the regular season or the end of the playoffs. So, um, you know, in, in terms of what Jeff Shinouth is continuing to try and build, and, and I certainly like lots of players, you know, in their program and some dandies on the way in terms of some of the excellent work they've done scouting. It's so important, not just for the 20-year-olds or the guys who aren't coming back, but it also would be great for the Oliver Tulks and, you know, people on that roster that are going to be really, really important going forward at Azinski, you know, go on down the line in their future. Uh, so we'll monitor the Calgary Hitman playoff push uh, as they get closer. They got a couple games, they have three games this weekend, actually starting up with uh, Lethbridge on Friday and then a back-to-back with Medicine Hat back on your airwaves Friday and uh, Sunday here on Sportsnet 960. But uh, Lou, Flames game day into Vegas. Uh, it's been a house of horrors for this Flames team since Vegas came into the league. They're 0-7-1. And, and don't look now, but the Vegas Golden Knights, Lou, the best team in the NHL since the All-Star break. They hold a 13-2-2 and record and have outscored their opponents 61-38. to A pretty impressive feat seeing as how they've lost Mark Stone in all of this. Well, it is a very impressive feat, and they're coming off a five-game road trip in which they won their last four games in succession, including a 5-3 triumph on Monday in Philadelphia. It's a very different team, Logan, now than the one that the Flames faced a few weeks ago and probably played their best game arguably ever in that building and lost it 4-3 in overtime on Alex Petrangelo's game winner in the extra frame. You know, they were a good team, finally had the lead in that building, which prior to that game, they had a lead in any game in Vegas for less than three minutes. But now, you know, Teddy Bluger is there helping to solidify their forward group. Barbashev has been a great ad coming over from St. Louis and finds himself, you know, with Eichel and Marcheseau. And all of those guys are on a pretty significant tear. Barbashev has eight points in his first nine games in Vegas, including a multi-goal effort in Philadelphia. So it's a group. Interestingly enough, their leading scorer is Chandler Stevenson. He has 53 points. Jack Eichel has missed time. He has 51, and you mentioned without Stone. But this team really, Logan, to me, is about their group of six on defense, especially now that it's been intact and it's been healthy for a good chunk of time. And the other part is the balance. There's actually a lot of similarities, I think, between these two teams. Because Calgary is very much based on balance. The one difference for me with the teams is, you know, does Calgary have as ex explosive a player as Eichel? Probably not, but it's not like he's torn the world apart. No. Um, so there's 
there's a lot of similarities. And, you know, the only other difference for me is, and I think it's changed now, but even if you look at the ice times of the defense of Vegas and Calgary, Vegas to me is solidly set with their group of six. That's been an area for Calgary with, you know, the Shillington absence and Michael's injury. But I don't think they've ever felt completely comfortable in the group of six. I think more so maybe now with Stetcher there. So that to me, you know, is the difference. And they've also struggled like Calgary in the goaltending department. And one of the great separators between these two teams is, not going to surprise anybody, but Vegas has won 11 games in overtime or shootouts, and we know how difficult that has been for Calgary, including their last meeting of the two teams on February 23rd at T-Mobile. Speaking of the goaltenders there, Lou, it's a major storyline in Vegas right now with uh, the seeming revival of Jonathan Quick. He uh, moved to 4 0 with the Golden Knights on Tuesday as they beat the Flyers. Uh, he's now 4-0 and in those uh, appearances, Lou, a 2.22 goals against and a 9.30 save percentage. This is a very motivated uh, man after being you know, tossed aside by the Kings at the trade deadline to Columbus. The Golden Knights go and just say, hey, look, we need some goaltending help. We've dealt with injuries all year long. And Quick, so far early on, is rewarding them with some pretty great goaltending. Yeah, the numbers that you just spoke of say it all. 930 is the save percentage in those four games. 222 is the goals against. And again, I think it has a lot to do with his passion and he wants to go out his own way and playing great hockey. And I think he'd probably be the first to tell you that that has not been the case the last couple of years. So he's re-energized, motivated, and he's on a good team. And a good team with guys in front of them that know how to check, and it's a good group. And not to suggest that L.A. isn't a good group, but the L.A. Kings, for me, don't have the group of six on the back in particular that Vegas does when they're healthy. And I think they're a big reason, you know, the, the game in so many ways is about the less time you spend in yours and the more time you spend in the other makes it easier and better for everybody. And, and the goalie is uh, no different. So we'll see where that goes. And I'm not sure if those two teams are going to meet in the playoffs, but you won't need to look or ask very long about a storyline. No. No, that'll be uh, that'll be pretty front and center if these two teams uh, do see each other in the postseason, and it's very um, very plausible given how everything's working out in the West that that could be a possibility between these two teams. And you're talking about built-in storylines, division rivals, and now the face of a franchise for a couple Stanley Cups potentially playing goal for the Vegas Golden Knights would certainly be uh, a storyline. I'm sure the NHL and fans would love to see. Uh, from a Flames perspective, Lou, haven't heard anything yet on practice out of Vegas today, but uh, I think it's safe to assume that we would see a pretty similar lineup. But I know it's something Pat's been talking about the last couple of days on Flames Talk, and I'd like to get your opinion on it 
uh, ahead of Flames warm up today. You think it's time for a line shakeup for this group at the forward position? Well, the one the one duo right now that's not really doing a lot for me is Hubert Owen Kadri. It was good against Ottawa, but it's been few and far between. I just don't think either guy really feeds the other guy overly well in terms of how they play. Uh, but in both of their cases, you know, Jonathan, you could make an argument. It hasn't really necessarily fit with any of the centers. The Elias Lindholm experiment has rarely happened since early in the year. It did two or three times after that. Um, that would be a place to start. But when you start there, you have to, again, you know, Logan, I say that, you know, I go into every game thinking about, you know, your matchups and, and you really do have to build in part your lineup in some ways for who you're about to deal with. So the issue that I have probably had as much as, you know, a lot of people go with how they produce or in this case don't produce. I have a bigger issue, frankly, with what they give up than what they're not producing. And in a lot of favorable matchups, especially at home, that for me has been the issue. And, you know, I, I don't think Nazem has been at his center ice two-way best outside of a game here or a game there for quite some time. And that's not taking heat off of Jonathan. That's, I think in some ways, just calling it what it is. So, you know, there's, there's different places to go. Um, and, and really in flames land, depending on how you see it, uh, you're always going to experiment. You're always going to try to make changes, but I don't know. Let me ask you, for me, the overriding story of, of the year has been, people that you had hoped way more from have not delivered. And those two, in some regards, are at the top of the list, but they're not alone. So, you know, it's, it's like some of the chats that we had at the trade deadline where I didn't really think it made a lot of sense to add an extra piece or another big piece or sell any future off because this group really hasn't shown us a that they probably deserve the help but if these guys can't get it figured out to me no matter who you bring in isn't going to fix what you really need to fix yeah it was exactly the same for me as a there was no player at the trade deadline that I don't even know that it's a player that's the issue for this team. Like, there's not a player that you bring in and suddenly says, "Oh, well, that that fixes what's ailed Jonathan Huberto or Nazem Kadri." I don't think that's how those things get fixed. I think that there's a lot on the player's shoulders themselves to get things fixed, and there's other things that you know can come with positioning and, and coaching and that sort of thing. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I never sat there and thought, "Oh, if they went out and got player X." 
that's suddenly going to fix and turn things around for those two guys. They have to do that themselves. Well, I'm always curious, I guess, about the lineup. I, I don't know if I'm as curious as other people. I'm far more curious about the lineup in regards to matchups than who's in and who's out, um, especially when it's of, you know, interest. But but I guess, Logan, that's, you know, that's where I look first. And with this team, it, it really is, and I heard Corey Sarich, who I have incredible respect for on the morning show today. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, you know, he echoed, frankly, a lot of things that I've talked about. And that is, you know, from his vantage point and his experience, there's, there's a lot of really good players who are not as detail-oriented as you'd like them to be and without saying it, it has a lot to do in his mind with their minds aren't in the right place. And they're uncomfortable. The word he used is uncomfortable. And it has. It's been an uncomfortable season as a team and individually. And it is very much running out of time in terms of solving it from anywhere. I like that word that, that Corey used, uh, the uncomfortable world, because that's how it feels when you watch this team. You're right. Does it not? Like That's, that's a great observation. I agree. <laughs> it just doesn't feel like a team that's ever found nope. that, that comfort level, either individually or as a group. Well, and, and I, I love the word uncomfortable, and it, it feels like there's a lot of dysfunction. That's yeah. how it feels to me, yeah. which nobody is comfortable when that's going on. No, and, you know, back to what we were saying there, there's nothing that player X or Y coming in at the trade deadline was going to change about that. That's something the group and individuals have to work on, and we'll see how much work they get done on that as we head towards the end of the season. And it certainly would be a good thing if we saw that start to change and it can be something that this group can use heading into next year, Lou, but I just don't, I just don't know given everything that we've seen with this group so far that, that we're going to get there. I think it might take an off season and it might just take some self-reflection for this group to come back with that right mindset next year. Yeah. Logan, you know what? And I, and I always, in some ways, now and it doesn't always work best for me um there are just there are just certain times you know in in very frustrating situations where a you got to look harder at you and b after that sometimes you just need to hit the reset button yep and this team to me needs a reset and not as much as people would think at least not for me in terms of the actual personnel but gluing the personnel together yeah i think that's entirely fair and how they go about doing that is is on them and we'll talk about that when and if it, it happens for this group uh 
we're expecting Jacob Marshall to get the starting goal tonight. Again, it'll be his eighth consecutive start for this group. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's been everything that was asked of him when Daryl Sutter came out and said, we're going to hand you the ball and, and go forward with it. I, I assume you're okay with him getting a start again tonight based on what you saw Tuesday against Arizona. I, I, I'm okay with him starting every game he needs to start or feels he can start in until the equation changes. And the equation changes for me when it changes in part for him or you go from not being alive to being alive. Understanding that, you know, including next week, you've got back-to-back situations coming up. Um and, and you would certainly, even when I look ahead a little bit, I should feel or have the opportunity coming up on Tuesday night in Anaheim to go to Daniel Vladar and get a good outing. Mm-hmm. Before then, I'm playing Jacob tonight, and I'm playing him again on Saturday against Dallas unless the numbers, the stats, the matchup changes. Yeah, he's, I, he's actually, he's right now for me, Logan, like I have absolutely no concern about him or the goaltending right now. No. And I, and I don't, I couldn't say that until this last stretch, but he's a guy that has taken this very difficult challenge and has been at his best, which I think says a lot about him and the noise and everything that he's gone through. It's why I have such great belief in him. And, and really that for me has never wavered. And I, I, I feel bad. I can't remember who I heard say this and I, I wish I could. And if I could remember it before we're done, I'll, I'll give him credit, but Somebody the last couple of days said something about Markstrom that just resonated for me and said it might not save his numbers this year, but you'll be so thankful as Flames fans come next year if this stretch helps Jacob Markstrom look more like himself for the full season because, yeah, it's, it, you know, and it, given that his save percentage is already bumped up back close to 900%, uh, 900 Mark Lou, he's back at 285 goals against. The numbers are rising, but if you'd walked out of this this year and your biggest worry was Jacob Markstrom and the future of him going forward with this team, the last couple of weeks have certainly done a lot to quell some people's fears in that category. Well, and I know this doesn't resonate very well with certain people in the organization. Other people, it does. But if I'm a member of the Calgary Flames who is in a good mindset, at the end of the season and they need something to be different and help them feel better regardless of what country they come from I would highly suggest that maybe going to play for your country if and when asked regardless of where you're from might be a real good idea yeah 100 percent uh, Lou, thanks for the time. As always, sir, we'll get uh, out of your way here, and we'll uh, join you again later tonight uh, as part of Flames warm-up with Pat at 7 o'clock ahead of the Flames and the Golden Knights. Thanks, as always, Lou. You have an awesome rest of your day, sir. You too, pal. Take it easy. Peter Labardius, the color voice 
of the Calgary Flames joins us every single day to kick off the program. He's brought to you by our good friends at the Gemini Group Home Renovations. The Gemini Group knows your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference, now offering air miles, reward miles. You can visit them at the Gemini Group. .ca. Our Thursday chat with Adnan Verk from MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast is coming up next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, Thursdays mean a regular chat with our pal Adnan Verk from MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast, and there's some beef to pick with the morning show who took away my guy last week for their program. One of my favorite weeks to talk with Adnan. I didn't get to do a preview of the Oscars with my man, but I get some Oscars reaction with him today. Mr. Verk, how are you, pal? Logan, how are you, buddy? I, I listen, I'm expecting as much Oscars talk as you want. <laughs> it was quite a night. It was, it was scandal-free for a change, which meant that it was nice, but it was a little bit boring, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was kind of back to the the regular that we expected. Kimball had a couple of good lines in there, as he always does. But I think for the most part, this was sort of back to what the Academy would hope it would be for most years. 100%. Let's focus on the movies themselves and all the art that, that creates. And I'm with you on Kimball. I thought he was terrific. I think you need to have hosts, you know, hosts of that connective tissue throughout the night. thought his monologue was excellent out of the gate, you know, making jokes about Spielberg, Seth Rogen getting him high. I dressed the slap, of course, from a year ago. Anything happens, do what you guys did a year ago, which was absolutely nothing. Um, I, and I thought it was important. He also appealed to he appealed, great line. He also appealed to his own audience, right? The one part where he starts naming all the different people, and then he says Guillermo. And I went to Guillermo del Toro. He goes, no, no, not that Guillermo. And I went to Guillermo from his show. So I said, that, that's important, too. You can't just play for the Oscars. It has to be for your audience as well, of which I am one, which I thought was really funny. He had a great line about Robert Blake. I said, it didn't really land, but if you thought it was funny, I mean, I was on the floor. Robert Blake, for those who don't know, just passed away. He, he was found innocent of killing his wife, but later was found guilty on civil charges. So Kimmel said, hey, I want everyone here to vote on whether or not we should include Robert Blake in memoriam. Just go ahead and text us right now. I said, jeez. I mean, you know me, man. I'm, the more challenging or more you know, savage the joke, the harder I'm going to laugh. So I, I was like, man, that is a ballsy joke to make, and I was, I was laughing pretty hard. And uh, – yeah, overall, listen, everything overall at once, seven Oscars. To win six of the big categories, you know, everything except Best Actor is pretty stunning. You know, in this day and age, as you and I know, they really love to spread the wealth. Here's Spotlight winning Best Picture and only winning one other Oscar for Best Screenplay. No acting wins. You know, that happens a lot more common. Parasite wins four Oscars. That's it. No win picture, director. But after that, you're not sweeping the categories. To actually win seven. It was pretty rare. It was like an old-school juggernaut for a film which is really appealing to the new school, the Academy. Younger, more diverse viewers. You know, those that don't like the movie probably found it hyperkinetic, a little bit too long, trying to do too much. But those who loved it, I believe, like you and me, original, audacious, different, mother-daughter story, you know, great performances across the board. So I, I think it's a terrific movie. My only downside is the pain she didn't share, which I like quite a bit, 0 for 9. I'm a yeah. little disappointed. I thought it would win for screenplay. I'm a little disappointed. Jenny the Donkey made an appearance, but 0 for 9. They took it in the shorts. Biggest upset of the night for you? Well, it was interesting. You know, the ones that were most obvious were picture, director, and supporting actor. An actor I had nailed, Frazier, by the way, Canadian, which is great. But you'll forget, Brendan Frazier, yep. by the time he was born here, I mean, there's, there's, there's a video out there of him tweeting, talking about going to Upper Canada College. So trust me, he knows well the life of being <laughs> a Canadian. Um Actress, I thought would be yo, and I was correct. I knew it was going to be closer in Kate Blanchett. But the one that I said is going to be tricky is supporting actress. And I said, you know what? 
I picked Angela Bassett on my ballot, but I said, watch out for Kerry Condon and watch out for Jamie Lee Curtis. Normally the SAG Awards, which is the Screen Actors Guild Awards, when you line them up with the Oscars, three out of four are accurate. Generally speaking, historically, this time all four were accurate. Ki Hui Kwan won Supporting Actor, Jamie Lee Curtis won Supporting Actress, and Yoan Frazier won the Actress. So I kind of talked myself into it. I go, well, it's normally three of the four. So I think it'll be Actor, Actress, Supporting Actor, but not Supporting Actress. Bassett won the Golden Globe. You know, she's a well-respected actress. Carrie Condon won the BAFTA, which is the British Academy Award. So I go, maybe she splits votes. But I said, who's the better actress? I think Angela Bassett's the better actress. She's had the better career. It'll be uh, noteworthy because she'll be the first actress to win an Oscar for a Marvel movie. But then I did say in my head, well, but then there's people like my boy Scorsese, Ethan Hawke. Some people don't want to reward Marvel movies. Right? They kind of get annoyed mm-hmm. about that stuff. And what it comes down to is this. Condon probably gave the best performance, but she'll get winning another day, right? That's fine. It's her first nomination. It's either Jamie Lee or Bassett. Now, who's had the better career? Both are arguable, right? We can go back at Jamie Lee Curtis. Halloween, obviously. Trading Places, Fish Called Wanda. Like, she's great. Yep. And she's also Hollywood royalty, of course, right? The, the daughter of, uh, of Tony Curtis and Janet Lee. So her and Bassett both had great careers, but Jamie Lee Curtis is in the movie that's the more popular one, the one that won Best Picture, at least among this audience. Of course, Wakanda Forever made a billion dollars, but in this audience, they're all loving everything ever all at once. You kind of get lifted up by the wave of that emotion. So that, to me, was the one surprise, and you saw Jamie Lee's reaction. When she won the SAG, she said, oh, come on. You can see her mouth words, and then she went up on the stage and said that, and the crowd started cheering, and she goes, no, I didn't mean come on, like cheer me on. I meant like, come on, are you kidding me? And, and she, and she did it again this time. Like, oh, come Like, what? Like, she did not think she was going to win. She was like, no. And the funniest moment was, of course, Angela Bassett's reaction, who also did not think Jamie Lee Curtis was going to win. She was mad. She didn't smile. She didn't clap. Nope. Like, I- I'm here for the entertainment. I, was, I find that hysterical. I mean, I love Billy Crystal. I love Mr. Saturday Night, which is his musical. came out last year. I went and saw it on Broadway. It was amazing. And when he lost to the guy who plays Michael Jackson in the musical, Billy Crystal did not clap. He didn't smile. Like he was just ticked <laughs> off. Angela Bassett did the same thing. I just started laughing. I love when people are that honest. Like, you know what? I'm not even going to pretend that I'm happy. I'm, I'm angry. I didn't have a problem with Jamie Lee Curtis winning it, and I understand that there's more that goes into it than, like you said, sometimes just the performance. But the problem that I had, and I've had this with a couple of buddies when we were talking about it, was I don't even know if she was the best supporting actress in her own movie that she won for at, and there was – you know, a, a very good point to be made for Stephanie Hsu in that. Uh, Jimmy Lee Curtis yeah. also didn't have a ton of screen time, all things considered, for really for a best supporting actress role. I was okay. Like I said, I'm not mad about it. I wasn't Angela Bassett mad about it by any means, but I was as surprised <laughs> as anybody to see her win that. We're going to start using Angela Bassett mad. Like, if the Flames miss the playoffs, I wasn't Angela Bassett mad, but I was pretty mad. <laughs> uh, but to your point about Jamie Lee, you're right. Stephanie Shu, I mean, if you say, if you watch that movie, you don't know anything about the movie, you go, oh, she should win supporting actress. Like, she was great. Mm. Like, that's really the heart of the movie, right? The emotional heart is the mother daughter stuff. Well, if the mother won, then the daughter should win. She was great. And I'm with you. The Jimmy, here's, the, here's the telltale sign that Jamie Lee Curtis didn't have a lot to do in that movie. Every time she was nominated, they kept showing the same clip. Yes. It's the same clip where she goes, on your taxes, and I don't like what I see. Because there wasn't really anything else she did in the movie. Like There wasn't any like standout moments or funny moments or emotional moments. And, and I'm with you. Like Aside from the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis, if you just watch the film, you'd say, why is this an award-worthy performance? I mean, the hot dog fingers, yeah, it's cool. But again, I, I, as you said, she's in like 15 minutes. So I think it's one of those Oscars that will look worse over time. Like in the moment, you're like, well, Everything, everywhere, all once is winning everything. If you ask me five years from now, like, Jamie Lee Curtis really won an Oscar for that? Like, it's, it's going to look worse over time. But it will be exactly what we know it to be, which is a lifetime achievement award. 
Yeah, exactly. That's that's the best way to put it. And uh, we were lucky, and then we almost got out of it. I knew they were going to sneak one in. Top Gun Maverick just had the one. I was a bit worried that they were going to throw something in there, like editing or some way to to just go yeah. around. So they got they got best sound, which I, I guess I can live with at the end of the day. But we were, I, I felt like we were in for at least two or three in there just to uh, to stick it to guys like you and me who couldn't stand the the Oscar hype that this movie got. I'm glad it stuck to one. Yeah, it's painful to me that now you can say the Academy Award-winning Top Gun Maverick, oh. but you're right. When someone says, what they win for? You go, best sound. You go, okay, fine. So it was loud. Yeah. Like, I think it should have been Elvis, because <laughs> the sound in Elvis is actually amazing. Because yes. what is it used to be? As you know, it used to be two categories, best sound mixing yep. and best sound editing. And the sound mixing is actually amazing, because Baz Luhrmann took Elvis Presley's actual vocals, then he took Austin Butler's vocals, and he mixed them together. I'm like, that is actually really impressive use of sound. And the whole way he's able to capture like a concert feel. If you saw Elvis in theaters, there's a reason why you're rocking and rolling because of the sound. So I, I again, even with my disdain for Cruise and the fact that I think Top Gun Maverick was fine, but isn't more close to being an Academy Award type movie, I still do think Elvis really should have won. But as you said, if it's held to one, fine. Editing, I was worried about because that can sometimes be, it used to be more in the past, but a telltale sign that a film might win Best Picture. They used to line up a lot more like that in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Now they've gotten away from that. But this year it did line up. Everything Everywhere won Best Editing and it won Best Picture. And that's a film definitely with the most editing. The amount of cuts in that movie is crazy. The fact that editor, that's only the second film he's ever edited. And he wins an Academy Award for it, which is great. But that, that was the only one I saw. Top Gun might win for that. And then I might get a little bit concerned. But thank God, even with the preferential ballot, one Oscar. And no Tom Cruise showing. He's off, you know, doing whatever, whatever stunts he's doing, you know, proving what a tough guy he is, what a big macho guy he is, riding his motorcycle in, like, Dubai or something, or some ridiculous stunt he's going to do. Like, Okay, thanks a lot, Tom. Clearly, somebody has an inferiority complex, still wants to do their own stunt at the age of 60. Go ahead. Oh. Be a tough guy. He wasn't there. Uh, I can talk Oscars with you all day, but uh, I know uh, my boss would be disappointed if I did that. So uh, we'll switch topics a bit here for a little bit, Adnan, and um, – I was really enjoying the World Baseball Classic. I, I had a lot of fun watching Canada's, uh, you know, run there for a little bit and going up against the juggernaut, the U.S., and, and having some great moments like that. But, man, I have a feeling this Edwin Diaz story is going to be the one that we talk about the most when we look back at this World Baseball Classic now. Every night, guys like you and me, once we get our lives settled, we go, all right, what's on TV? And the first we look at is, what's the sporting event of the night? And I'm looking at my cable package, and I go, all right, no Flyers, no Raptors, no Knicks. The NBA game I have is like the Grizzlies, Sixers, I don't care. Hockey, I had like I, whatever, the Avalanche Leafs game was on Turner. I'm like, oh, I'll watch a little bit of that. But I said, oh, actually, World Baseball Classic is the best event of the night. We had Canada at 3 o'clock Eastern, 1 o'clock local for you guys. And I picked it up literally in the sixth inning, just as it fell apart for us. I go, okay, well, we give it an effort, but what are you going to do? We lose to Mexico, it's fine. And then I said, 7 o'clock, wow, Puerto Rico, Dominica, that's a great game. I can't wait. So I was actually locked into that game from the jump. Most of my WBC viewing has been kind of in and out, but I was watching the entire game, Logan, and I was riveted. I said, wow, Puerto Rico early lead. I love Julio Rodriguez, terrible error there in center. You know, inside the Parker Lindor, I'm like, wow, this, this crowd is just insane. Like every pitch, they're going nuts. And I hung in till the end, Diaz, last out, and then you just you just see a scene and that crowd around him, and I go, oh, my God. I, I My buddy Dave Fleming, of course, does a great job at ESPN. He was on the call. He said, he goes, well, you hope it's not that bad. That's exactly what you're thinking. You're watching this incredible moment in Puerto Rican baseball history. They just beat the Dominican Republic, right? This is like Canada, USA, for our intents and purposes. This is massive to win among the island nations in baseball. And literally seconds later, 
he's on the ground and you're motioning the trainer. Go, oh my, what could this possibly be? Like once you saw them lift him up, I go, oh, he's done. Like he can't put any weight on no. that thing. They got to take him to the wheelchair. And I right away, I was telling my son this morning. I said, he's out for the year. He said, really? I said, yeah. I go, it's, it's his knee. It's an ACL. It's gone. He said, come on. I go, best case. I googled. Best case was like dislocated kneecap or something like that. And that was six to eight weeks. I go, best case we're talking about like all star break. But I go, there's no way this guy's pitching this year. And then once I saw the news an hour ago, as did you. Out for eight months. I go, yeah, that means he's out for the year. Crushing. Absolutely heartbreaking. The Mets have huge aspirations this year of going and not just getting to the World Series, but winning a World Series. And Diaz was lights out for them. Nothing better than Narcos playing. And he comes in with a crowd. I'm like, we get to hear that last night. I said, man, this is just a devastating loss for the Mets. And it really hurts the WBC. To your overarching point, the players like it. You're playing for your country. The teams hate it. And here's why. Like, you have spring training to get ready. And then you just lost a guy to, in their mind, a meaningless tournament. I don't want to text my friend Buck Walter. I can't imagine how mad he is right now. Like, these games are not important in the grand scheme of things. We pay you millions of dollars for your actual job. It'd be like you or me getting hurt, like, doing something. Like, if you were broadcasting an event somewhere else. It wasn't for 960. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, now your throat's gone? Like, no, you have to work for us. You've got to protect yourself in these situations. So it was absolutely, A, shocking to see. Like somebody was tweeting me, go, this is Shades of Grammatica. That's right, the Bucks kicker. Mm-hmm. I think it was Martin Grammatica got hurt celebrating. Yep. But this is obviously very, very painful. And to your point, now more and more teams are going to go, hey, you're not playing on the WBC. Four years from now, they're going to put pressure on their players. They'll put clauses in the contract. You're not playing. It, it's a really, really tough blow. By the way, for Puerto Rico, I mean, they just beat the Dominican Republic. I'm like, wow, that, that's the favorite they just took down. Now I don't know what's going to happen. His brother is on the field crying. I mean, it was a just an awful scene is there any other time that this event could be played i feel like given how long an mlb season is already players wouldn't be keen to have this at the end of the season i was talking with uh brad curl who does the calgary hitman junior hockey games with us last night verk and he said you know maybe put it at the end of the season and make it like the world hockey championships where you know guys who are out from the playoff race can go and join their international teams in the tournament. And if you're out, you know, early on in the, say, the ALDS or something like that, you'd still have time to join the tournament. But it kind of goes on while the rest of the MLB playoffs, DS and and further on, are are still going. I don't know how many guys are going to be keen after a full season to to jump onto this opportunity. I don't know when else you could possibly play this kind of tournament for baseball. I don't know. Yeah, I just think it's very unique to the sport, like you said. In hockey, you can do it. The World Championship, your team gets knocked out in the first round or you didn't make the playoffs. Hey, no problem. In baseball, when are you going to do it? You're not going to do it in November after the season. The guys are gassed. They're tired, man. They've just been gone for six months with their families on the road. And um, If you won, you want to celebrate. If you lost, you don't want to do anything. Now, a bunch of the Latin players do play winter ball, which is an aspect to it. Sometimes they find that going into spring training, they're more you know ready to go as far as the climate. I just... I can't imagine you're getting a, a lot of a, an audience that's willing to do that. It's just going to be a tough, tough sell to do a postseason. As you said, you do it now. There's really no other time to do it. You do it right before the season begins. I mean, maybe you do it even earlier, like maybe in January or something. But even then, I don't think the guys are ready. Like you just, uh, the season just ended. You kind of need a, a little break and then to ramp up. So if you had a little bit of break ramped up, you still might get hurt. There's really no way to prevent this kind of injury. And it's every four years, and it's uh, it's just really frustrating. I, I don't know how you make it work with the schedule. I really don't. 
Uh, did you feel bad knowing that the New York Yankees don't cover internet charges for their uh, team playing Adnan? I know the guys have a pretty tough life. <laughs> I believe there's built-in poker tables and you know premium food on there, but gosh, it's got to be a tough life not having Wi-Fi on the plane if you're a New York Yankee. Yeah, I never understand how those things kind of happen. Because again, I go both ways. On the one hand, I hear from the players' perspective, like, "Wait, we're the New York Yankees, and we're going to pay for our Wi-Fi charges." But then I also go with what you're saying, which is that, yeah, but you can afford it. Like, like really? You're going to complain about this? Like, I think you can take care of it. So it's one of those that the part of me says, well, when you're at a certain level, these things should get taken care of. But as you said, you got enough stuff taken care of. Don't worry, boys. you got first-class travel. you got all the food you can want, all the drinks. Hey, can you just pay for your phone because you're you know, tweeting or whatever or posting pics on Instagram? That's not a whole lot to ask for. So, yeah, I, I think in this case, I can understand where the theme is coming from. It's kind of funny that – I saw somebody tweet out after that story came out. Uh, it's one thing. I think the Reds, they said, were the only other team that doesn't cover uh, internet on their flights. And they said, this is the one thing that the Oakland A's can ever hold over the New York Yankees about being uh, cheap about because everything else, the Oakland A's are way cheaper than anybody else on. But in this case, they provide for their players better than the New York Yankees do. <laughs> yeah, that's classic. I mean, listen, you go to Oakland and it's like, man, like they are just pinching every penny possible. And I get it. Right, none of the people show up there. The stadium's a dump. I mean, I can't believe they're still playing at the O.co. Sooner rather than later, that situation is going to get resolved, and more than likely, I feel like it's going to be the Las Vegas A's. But for now, they're a team that's running a very, very tight ship. And you're right. At least in this instance, they can say, "Well, we we treat our players better than the New York Yankees. Come here for your good <laughs> Wi-Fi in the Bay Area." Uh, switching over to hockey. Uh, aside from his uh, his kid being a bit of an asshole. How do you feel about Danny Briere being the GM of the Philadelphia Flyers going forward, Mark? <laughs> well, God, you're talking about a PR nightmare. I'm like, man, the guy just got the job and his kid does that. Listen, I get it, man. Kids do stupid things. I got it. But I'm like, that's that's pretty bonehead, man. Like, if we looked in each of our personal histories and go, all right, dumbest thing you ever did, I never pushed a wheelchair down, down a flight of stairs. Like, come on, man. That's just, just stupid, as you said. And, and hopefully he learns from it. Doesn't happen again and we move on. But Chuck Fletcher just did a disastrous job. Like, there's no getting around it. And it'll go back to the Rasmus Ristolainen trade. Like, wait, you made a, a horrible trade for this guy, and then you rewarded him. You gave him $5 million a year for a five-year contract. And that's going to go down as one of the worst bonehead moves ever by a general manager, I swear, in hockey history. And I get it. Ristolainen's a big guy. You think he's just dumb, but he's not. So when you give up a lot for the guy, just accept the fact he made a bad trade and move on. Oh, Chuck's going to sign him again. And what really did him in, was this year not trading anybody. The Flyers are going nowhere. Van Riemsdyk is a pending free agent. Just trade him. Get something for him. Who cares? I don't care if it's a six-round pick. And they got nothing. And when they asked Chuck about it, he's like, well, had one deal, came close, couldn't get it done. I'm like, no. That's when the owner's like, you know what? If you can't trade a guy who's clearly not coming back, then you don't need to be here anymore, right? See ya. It's one thing if you could have made a pro drop trade. That would have been nice, too. Like, if you could have traded Kevin Hayes, mm-hmm. he's got value at a $7 million contract two years. But, Chuck, you did nothing. See ya. Now we'll let Danny Breer take over. I loved him as a player. I don't know what kind of tutelage he's had so far. He's been part of the front office. Hopefully he can take over. Interim, I mean, they're going to remove that label soon. Like, I think he's the guy, unless something else happens with his kid. Yeah. But this kind of follows the script of what we've seen. Brendan Shanahan with the Leafs. Steve Eisenman with the Lightning and now the Red Wings. Like, Joe Sackick with the Avalanche. Like, former players who want to go into that realm. And it's, it's a tough job. There's no question about it. But if you've got equity and you're smart and you're sharp, I think Danny Breer is that you can make things work. But I think especially as a first-timer, kind of a good system around you, assistant GM, scouts, people you can trust. And the challenge in Philadelphia is it's just such a, 
a tough fan base. Like, no one's going to say, hey, let's be irrelevant and stink for five years. Like, no, with the Flyers, it's always retooling. They're never going to take the three steps back. They probably should. So it's like, all right, Danny, strip it down a little bit, but you're going to make the playoffs like in a couple of years. Like, this is a bad year. You can miss next year, maybe the year after, and that's it. So you have like a two-year plan here to make things work and, and hopefully you can get it done. Yeah, and I guess if there's anybody that understands Philly culture and what that team can and should be, what the fans want from that organization, Danny Briere's got to be at the top of the list. I think it'll probably, you know, Chris Pronger's been around the game for a little bit post-career, and I wondered if he would have been an option for them. But I, I do like that they brought somebody in who understands what Philly's all about because it's not like any other NHL market, Virk. Oh, 100%. And think about the fact they brought in Tortorella this year. So you bring in Torts and the team is terrible, it's like, all right, we're not going to have four years of John Tortorella on a bad team, right? Like, they missed the playoffs this year, bad year. Next year, they got to get better. And Tortorella, again, they'll probably miss the playoffs. But year three, you can't be hired John Tortorella and then three straight years to miss the playoffs. So, again, Danny Breer has to know. I've got to be on the same page as my coach who's going to be go, go, go. We're not rebuilding. We're retooling. Make a couple of moves, and then we're going to figure this thing out. So, um, you're right. I think it does help when a player has been there, but a part of the culture and understand what it's all about. Like, you'll give him a little bit more rope because you go, oh, man, I love Danny Breer. Back with 2010 Flyers, he was great, blah, blah, blah. Like, that, that gives you a little bit of equity. But eventually, you got to have results, and hopefully Danny could be the guy to get it done. Uh, what did you make of Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show, uh, talking about his future and saying, hey, I'm, I'm good for New York. As soon as they figure it out, I plan to play for the Jets. It seems like an odd decision to go to the stacked AFC, given all the quarterback talent there compared to the NFC, but I guess Rodgers has never really been one to, to follow the script of normal NFL quarterbacks. No, and it just it that comes down to one name, and that name is Nathaniel Hackett. Like the name of a guy you'd figure to be a general in the War of 1812. Maybe he was involved in the Plains of Abraham. No, he's the offensive coordinator for the Jets, who was the offensive coordinator 2019 to 2021 with Aaron Rodgers when he won his third and fourth MVPs. Clearly, he loves Hackett. He's like, hack it, can hack it. I want to be with this guy. Okay, sure. Jets need a quarterback. And the conventional wisdom has been they're one quarterback away from being a great team. Like, they have a great defense. They got a head coach in Robert Sala who knows how to get the best out of his defense. Guy was a great defense coordinator with the 49ers. They've got young talent on offense, but the quarterbacks stink. Like, Zach Wilson, total bust. You know, uh, Mike White, like, do what you can, but you're not going to be anything special. Like, we need a quarterback. And that's why Woody Johnson, the very rich and very important owner, Flew to meet Aaron Rodgers and basically said over 10 hours of conversation, hey, what's going to take? Let's figure this out. And I know Rodgers has diffused the report that Adam Schefter said about his wish list and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But there's no doubt. You bring a guy in, what do you need? What's going to make you happy? You want Alan Lazard? Done. $44 million contract. Next, I'd like OBJ. Probably not going to happen because it's a little bit tight for the cap for the Jets, but we'll see what we can do. What else you want? Randall Cobb? I can get you Randall Cobb. Done. What else you want? Like, they're going to make him as happy as possible because he is going to give you a wish list of players that he's comfortable with and that he feels can take him to the top. The Jets are so deficient when it comes to quarterbacks. It's the last time they had any, any success. AFC Championship games back-to-back. And who was the quarterback, Mark Sanchez? He's a nice guy, but he's going to be known forever as the butt fumble. Like, when's the last time they had a great quarterback? It's been forever. Rodgers has won four MVPs. Like, the guy's legit. Now, has he lost a step or two? Sure. Should he have won that game against the Lions? Yeah, that was awful. They were at Lambeau, winning the end. They somehow lose the game against Detroit. with nothing to play for. He's got some bad losses, but there's no doubt the guy is a top three quarterback in the game, maybe top five at worst. It's a massive upgrade to the Jets. So 
They should just get the deal done. I mean, I know the Jets are like, oh, Packers are asking for a lot. What do you care? Rodgers wants to go there. Give them the Packers want a first round pick and something else. Do the deal tomorrow and get things going because people here are going to lose their minds as far as the Jets are concerned. But I'm with you. At the end of the day, are they the best in the AFC? No. Are they the best in their division? No. Like, I think they're definitely behind Chiefs, Bills, Bengals. You're fourth best at best. Now, anything can happen come playoff time. I got that. But the NFC, like, I love it as an Eagles fan. Like, all I see in the NFC is Eagles and 49ers. I can't see any other team being a big threat. Yeah, you know, I hadn't even thought about that. You know, the Bears will get better, but whether they're contenders or not, probably, you know, not so much. You're talking about another quarterback heading out and not one coming in. Works out pretty well for uh, for the Eagles. who managed to keep a couple of guys. Darius, Darius Slay, the big one yesterday, who we were all convinced was getting released. They restructure things and... Still some big losses in Philly, but I think for the most part, you're talking about, you know, coming into the next season with the Eagles being the biggest threat somewhere in the NFC. That's a pretty big thing to come back with after the Super Bowl loss. Oh, 100%. That's the biggest thing I was trying to explain to my kids because they said, well, you know what? We can always come back. Like, it's, we, we lost the Super Bowl, but we have an outstanding quarterback who's 24 years old. We've got a great offensive line. We'll be back. And I said, you don't understand in this sport, it is so hard to repeat. And they didn't even win. I'm just saying repeat to come back. And the Eagles have done this, of course. I lived through four NFC Championship games. But it's very, very hard to get back there. Hurts is great, but now he's going to get paid. He's getting $45 million a year, and he deserves it. Like, once that gets done, like, of course, that will take up your cap money, blah, blah, blah. And I looked at their defense logo. I said, they're going to have to lose some of these guys. There's just no way. And Slay was the one. I go, oh, no, this guy's a five-time All-Pro, back-to-back years. He's been exactly what the Eagles needed. But it's $17 million. They don't want to guarantee it. And I said, man. But then they got it done. I'm like, yes. Like, that's great news. Like, to me, cornerbacks are so critical. I know he's 32, but it's not like he's 38. Like, he's still got two or three good years in him. And they signed Bradbury. Ended up being a terrific pickup there from the Giants. So you got your corners. If you lose to C.J. Gardner-Johnson on the safety, it's fine. Defensively, you do get a hometown discount. Fletcher Cox is not the player he once was, but seven sacks, seven tackles for loss. Because you know what? I'll come back one year, $10 million. Brandon Graham, not the player he once was, but I could have got more elsewhere. I'll come back one year, $6 million. So I'm actually pleasantly surprised. The Eagles, I thought there would be like wholesale changes. They're going to have to lose a player or two, of course. And then Jason Kelsey, who's critical. I think he's as good a center in football. I thought he was going to retire. So you know what? I'll come back one more year. Jason Kelsey, $14 million a year. Everyone agrees, even with my Eagles bias, that was the best offensive line of football, and they will be intact again. So I uh, – especially that slave switcheroo. I was a little bit worried, but now I feel pretty good about what the team looks right now. Yeah, it's funny how winning sometimes leads to you getting hometown discounts from guys that you, you wouldn't necessarily expect. The Bucks took advantage of it when Brady uh, you know, came back for year two after winning the Super Bowl. I think if you can sell to these guys, hey, look, we've got a good winning team here. You want to stick around and, and be a part of it? Well, then all of a sudden the difference between an extra year in free agency or a couple million dollars doesn't wind up being – you know, the biggest deal anymore, and you'd rather be a part of a winning franchise than, you know, get four years in, in Cleveland. Apologies to anybody who, who possibly cheers for Cleveland. <laughs> no, 100%. Like, people always say they want to win. Well, how important is it to you? Like, if you really want to win, then you're willing, to, as you said, if it's a one-year deal and $12 million versus one-year $10 million, what's the difference? Like, I know it's $2 million, but you're making $10 million and you've already made a ton of your careers. These guys are already in their 30s. They've been well compensated over that time. So I'm with you. Eventually, you're going to say, I want to win a title. That's the most important. The one killer, by the way, is Javon Hargrave, who might have been the Eagles' best defensive lineman. Mm. Absolutely tremendous as a defensive tackle. And where did he go? 49ers. They yeah. gave him $80 million, I think $40 million guaranteed. So Hargrave definitely hurts. That guy was awesome last year. But, hey, 
you're gonna have to make some adjustments. You know, for the 49ers, definitely a good move for them. Yeah, as if their uh, D line needed help. That's really what I was concerned about. Was how in the world that D line would ever would ever survive if they didn't get Javon Hargrave, and now they just look like world beaters. But uh, the good news is, is they have no idea what they're doing at quarterback. So. I uh, have to figure that one out between <laughs> Lance Darnold and Brock Purdy. That's just the weirdest quarterback room I think I can ever think of. Thank you for pointing that out. The amount of people who are like the 49ers are the favorites, they go, hold on a second. I think they're a really good team. I got that. I understand the good coach, great defense, but I'm like, figure out the quarterback first. Lance could be a bust. For all we know, this kid could be Zach Wilson. Like We've seen nothing to justify him as a first pick. Nope. Purdy had a terrific season. Okay, show it to me again. Like that, that was nice to see. Let's do that again now. Like No one ever thought you'd be that good. And as you said, you're bringing in Darnold. I, I have zero faith Sam Darnold is going to be the start on that team. So I, I'm with you. I'm still like, eh, not totally sold on the 49ers. Figure out your quarterback first. Yeah, we'll see how that one works out first because until you get that position figured out, I'm still a bit hesitant on any team in the NFL uh, making as much noise as especially that team wants to. Uh, one of those guys needs to be legit, and I'm not sure any of them are just yet. Uh, Verk, we took you long. Uh, appreciate the time, as always, pal. We'll check in with you again next week, hey? Logo, appreciate it as always. I'm watching the March Madness. I'm sure you are as well. Virginia goes down. Number Ooh. four against Furman. Who knew? Good luck with the bracket. Take care, pal. Take it easy. See you, bro. Adnan Verk, MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast joins us every Thursday here on Sportsnet today, uh, breaking down a little bit of everything. We also dove into the NFL there. Uh, as well, Aaron Rodgers' situation, what's going on with uh, Verk's Eagles, and yes, as he mentioned, uh, March Madness well underway. Uh, your bracket probably busted already. Furman takes down Virginia in the first upset uh, day one of the tournament, and uh, people are tearing up their brackets left and right. That's uh, just how it goes uh, during March Madness. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. We'll uh, get some Flames game day audio from Las Vegas. Flames looking for their first win in Las Vegas since the Golden Knights became a franchise back in 2017-2018, can they do it tonight? We'll talk more Flames and Golden Knights around the corner here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.